And so uh, I got a couple of things for you as I, as I move forward. Uh, one thing I do not want to forget uh, in terms of... Um, in terms of addressing is, again, I know it's 9.30, I know we're all waking up, uh, but at the same time, I'd love for you to make some noise, some, some a round of applause for our volunteers, right? Like, absolutely. Here, here's, here's what I wanna just share with you very briefly. Um, uh, over the last nine weeks, our volunteers have done a tremendous work, uh, whether it was a lot of behind the scenes, which is much of what you saw, a lot of behind the scenes work, whether it came to uh, filming uh, or recording uh, the services, whether it was getting content out, whether it was checking in on members in our church and serving our community, our volunteers have been doing a tremendous job. I should say our staff and our volunteers have been doing a tremendous work. And so I just want to say thank you. I'm grateful for you. I'm so thankful for you. And in addition to that, as we move forward, be sure to uh, maybe at a distance say thank you because over the next couple of weeks, as things still look kind of weird and as we continue to adjust to moving to two services for the time being, they're going to be working double time over the next couple of weeks. And so, man, be sure to say thank you, uh, buy them lunch because you could do that and, and, uh, and just thank them for their hearts and their service. Service. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to find ourselves this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Um, and I, as I mentioned earlier, I want to be honest about several things. I might move very quickly. I'm also hocked up on a lot of coffee. But part of the reason I want to move quickly is because we haven't done two services in a long time. And so this one has a bit of a time constraint as we get ready for the 1130. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get the full picture. So if we run run late, we run late to the glory of God. Um, as you open or load your Bibles, I got a couple of announcements for you. The first one is that uh, next week we are starting a new series. If you have been with us online, last week we closed our series in 1 John. Next Sunday we're going to begin a new series titled Untangling the Heart, and we are walking through the Psalms for the next seven weeks. And uh, ultimately what I want to do with this series is uh, oftentimes within the church when we begin to talk about emotions, I feel like, eh, get it, anyway, I feel like we tend to be on one side or the other. We tend to be on this one side where it's like emotions are everything. I'm going to lead uh, or be governed by emotions. They're super important. They're also a priority. We need to do it this way. Feel is good, right? And then on the other side, we have maybe more of a stoic mind, right? Like, no, it's all about truth, and we're going to look at what God's Word says about emotion, and we're going to stay here, and your emotions don't matter. What I want us to do, or what I want to walk us through, is this, uh, I suppose you could say this mental ground, but maybe it's this biblical ground in the sense of, hey, emotions are actually important. They actually matter. It was something by which God designed us for. However, we also need to address our emotions emotions uh, in a healthy manner and certainly in a biblical manner. And so I want us to walk through a variety of emotions that we all experience to one degree or another. And we're going to look to the Psalms to help us look at what it means to feel those feelings and at the same time look at the person and work of Jesus. That's the number uh, first announcement. The second announcement <laughs> The second announcement is uh, recovery groups. Recovery groups begin June 10th. That's a Wednesday. Recovery groups, don't let the name throw you off. 
Recovery groups serve as these discipleship intensives, and, and they are seasonal. And so for us, they happen throughout the summer. And over the next eight weeks, oh, what we do is come alongside of people who are just battling with habitual sin. And when I say don't let the name throw you off, oftentimes people uh, guess or assume that it's particularly to substance abuse or even alcohol abuse, but it's not. It's habitual sin. It could be those things. It could be sexual sin. It could be pride. It is a sin that you are regularly, daily fighting and find yourself tragically losing. And so what we want to do is come alongside of you uh, to disciple you kind of uh, intensively as we look at God's word and how we work through habitual sin. That June 10th date is very important because that's kind of the catalyst that sets us for the rest of the season. If you're unable to complete it, that's okay, but June 10th is it's, it's kind of like the, the set in stone date. If you want to be a part of that, that's the one date you need to definitely be at. Uh, you could talk to Nathaniel, who serves as our missional communities director, and he will help you out. Also, register, right? StorehouseMcKellen.com slash recovery, whatever. Okay, here we go. Got a couple of house rules, all right? Uh, clearly, you've uh, been, what, screened? Um, <laughs> so we got a couple of house rules. The first one is we're going to continue to promote social distancing as long as it continues to be a recommendation, uh, particularly in the context that we meet in. The incubator, even though it is run by the Chamber of Commerce, is still owned by the city, and so technically this is still a city building. And so we are going to practice social distancing along with wearing masks. That's just a, a city ordinance right now. If you walk into any city building, you have to wear a mask, right? Private sector, it's up to them. <clears throat> so thank you for wearing a mask and looking like a ninja. And uh, this morning when we're done, uh, we're going to be super cautious, especially as we learn as we go. We're going to be super cautious, and you're going to be dismissed by row, kind of like, uh, I don't know, elementary. So anyway, that's, that's uh, all the things I have gone really fast. So let's dive into our time. Cool? All right. Nobody wants to dive into our time. Here we go. What is the most important thing for you to know? All y'all taking notes, got your pens out. Cool. What is the most important thing for you to know? I want you to chew on that this morning. Over the last nine weeks, you and I can safely assume that knowledge is significant. It's a bit of a big deal. Particularly as we look back at the last nine weeks, you can look at the first couple of weeks when it came to the coronavirus, and everybody was looking at the latest update, the latest statistic, what other organizations are saying and or doing, and over the last nine weeks, to some degree or another, you and I have sought out knowledge so that we would exercise wisdom and caution, so that you and I would exercise uh, caution when it came to being around one another and even even when it came to being around our families. When it came to this past season, it was almost as if you and I held knowledge as an idol. The more I know, the safer I'll be. The more knowledge I have about the latest statistic, about the latest study, the more I know politically, the more I know about what is going on, that will breed security for me. 
over the last three days, we could say the same thing. The more you know about the history of our nation, the more you know about racial injustice, the more you know, the better off you are. Everyone has convictions. You have convictions. I have convictions. Everyone has opinions. You have opinions and you have preferences. And what I'd like to do this morning very, very briefly is set those convictions, those opinions, and those preferences aside. I want to set them aside for a moment and I'd like to return to them eventually, but what I would love to address first is something more profound. Here's the next question, leaving you in suspense. The next question is, over the last few weeks, has the gospel been the main thing? Chew on that. We got time? Not really, but you know what I mean. Chew on that. Has the gospel been the main thing for you over the last nine weeks? Got a lot of questions for you this morning. Maybe because I'm so excited. Has the gospel been the main thing for you these last week? You see, for the most part, my concern is that the gospel has actually not been the main thing for us, that is, for the church. That even when it has come to good things, we have seen, you can't dismiss that, we have seen good things happen over the last nine weeks. The question still stands, was the gospel at the center of those good things? We have seen challenging days and seasons over the last nine weeks. Some of you have faced incredibly challenging efforts over the last nine weeks. Has the gospel been central to you in that time? We have seen bad things or devastating things. We have seen grief and anger displayed in a variety of ways over the last nine weeks. And I ask you, has the gospel been the central thing, the central focus for you over the last nine weeks? And again, my concern is that the gospel hasn't been at the center for us. And in many ways, it is because you and I have forgotten the gospel We have forgotten that the gospel provides us with identity, that the gospel reminds us of transformation, but the gospel also presents you and I with responsibilities. I think often we love to label ourselves as Christians, and when asked, why are you a Christian, oftentimes we might say, because we do good things, or because we now go to church, or we gather online. And often what I tend to see both in myself and in my brothers and sisters is that is our answer for why we are Christians and then we love to run to responsibility and action. Because I'm a Christian and I'm a good person and I read my Bible, this is what I do completely forgetting ultimately our identity, completely forgetting the power of the gospel when it comes to our transformation and we love to talk about implication and action. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, when it comes to values or when it comes to implication, when it comes to action, when it comes to many of our convictions, you and I would argue that they are valuable. But the question is, are they gospel-centered? And so what I want to remind us of this morning is simply the gospel. That the gospel provides us with clarity and identity 
the gospel provides you and I with transformation and that the gospel provides you and I with implication and responsibility. And so what I'd like to do now is read 1 Corinthians 15. We're looking at verses 1 through 9. I'll read them, I'll pray, and then we'll keep going. This is the Apostle Paul. He goes on to say, beginning in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep." Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Let me pray. God, I am so thankful that we get to gather this morning, and while things look so funky and things are still being sorted out, at the end of the day, we get to worship you together through song, uh, through uh, hymns, through the preached word, through prayer. And so, Lord, would you be made alive uh, in us this morning? Would you be at work in us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you be at work so that we would be more like Jesus throughout our time and as we exit this building? God, as we look to your word, number one, may your gospel and your glory be proclaimed. Number two, may our need for you be uh, evident, and so may you convict us of our sin so that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. God, I am thankful for my brothers and my sisters this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. I want you to take notice of the first thing, of the first verse in chapter 15. I want you to take notice of the first thing that Paul says. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I want you to take notice that this is present tense. And the truth is that you and I are regularly forgetful of the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ that Paul goes on to say of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. The gospel is a message that you and I receive and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he enables our hearts to believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ. He goes on, in which you stand. You see, the gospel isn't just something that we receive so that we would believe. The gospel is a message upon which you and I stand. The foundation that Jesus is Lord is where you and I stand convictionally, firmly. It is what empowers us to exercise what we believe. Paul continues to which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. The fancy word for that is sanctification. That is that as you and I have received the gospel and stand upon the foundation and lordship of Jesus Christ, 
the work of God in us transforms us more and more into the image of Jesus. That means we become more and more, I should say, less and less of ourselves and more and more like Jesus. That means as we mature and grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, one of the things that happens is our love for Jesus increases and our hatred for sin increases all the more. It is the gospel upon which we receive, upon which we stand, and upon which we are being saved. Then Paul goes on to say, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I want you to think about the last nine weeks. Have you believed in vain? As we look back briefly right now at the last nine weeks, are you more like Jesus today than you were back in March? Are you more like Jesus today as we gather, not just because it's Sunday, but are, is, are we more like Jesus today than we were back in March? Paul moves forward to explicitly share the gospel that you and I forget. And so what I want you to do is that I want you to walk away with five points of clarity that we're going to pull from verses three through five. And so what I'd like to do is walk through them and then I'll go back and elaborate on each one of them. They should be on the notes. That when it comes to the gospel, Paul wants you and I to remember a couple things. Number one, of first importance. Number two, that sin is paid. Number three, the wrath of God is removed. Number four, eternal life is promised. And five, communion with God. Okay? Again, if I went too fast, all of those are on the, on the notes available for you online or when you walk in, I think. Or probably not. Anyway, so let's go into them. Paul begins, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christian, I want you to know, the gospel is the most important thing for you to know. Remember, for right now, for the time being, you and I are setting our convictions, our preferences, and our opinions on the side. The most important thing for you to know is the gospel because the gospel brings clarity not only of who you are and who you were, but what God has done for you in Christ, what God is doing in you and what God does through you. That is the most important thing for you to know. But my convictions, we'll talk about that later. We're not there yet. That is the most important thing for you to know. Paul says it this way, for I deliver to you as of first importance. If you walk away from anything today, you're going to walk away. I would hope that you would walk away that the gospel is of first importance. And if you don't know Jesus, it is the most important message that you can hear. And it is that God saves sinners. And apart from Jesus, you do not know God. Apart from Jesus, you do not know God. So my hope and my prayer is that you would receive the gospel today. That you would repent of your sin, turn away from your sin and place your trust in Jesus. And then you would believe and surrender in his lordship. It is of first importance. Number two, what you and I need to take away when it comes to the gospel is that sin is paid. Paul says it this way, that Christ 
died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. It is the beauty of the gospel message that God entered into human history as the man, Jesus Christ, and lived the life that you and I cannot live and goes on to die the death that you and I deserve to die in our place. He pays for our penalty with his life. The word redemption is often used in the context of bondage and slavery. That when it comes to repentance, in order for someone or something to be redeemed, it means that they are bought out of that slavery. For the Christian, you and I have been bought out of slavery through our sin or to our sin. And the currency that was used was the blood of Jesus. That was the cost for buying us out of slavery. And so as a result of Jesus dying for sin, he makes it possible for our sin to be forgiven, for us to be freed from our bondage to sin, and to live according to his grace and to his mercy on the cross. Sin is paid because Jesus died. Number three, the wrath of God is removed. The wrath of God is removed. On the cross, yes, Jesus paid for our sin. Uh, he, he paid our penalty for our sin with his life. In addition to that, what is happening is not just Jesus dying. It is the Father exercising his wrath on the Son. And he exercises his wrath so that you and I might experience new life. Not that we're zombies, but apart from Jesus, we are spiritually dead. And so as God the Father exercises his wrath on the Son, what the Son inevitably does is not only pay for our sin, but he exchanges his righteousness for our unrighteousness. That the one who knew no sin became sin. Theologians call this the great exchange, that he takes our unrighteousness and he gifts us his righteousness. And so as a result now, when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you, he says Jesus in you. For the one who belongs to Jesus, there is no condemnation. Number four, eternal life is promised. Paul says it this way. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Elsewhere in Romans, Paul says that it was the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And as a result, you and I might have life. And so upon believing, when I talk about believing, we're talking about submission. We're talking about surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. When you say you believe in someone or something, that means that you submit and surrender to the authority of that belief. It's not just wishful thinking, and it's not just an agreement with an opinion. Belief has weight. And so when you and I believe upon the lordship of Jesus, not only are we made right before God, but we are gifted eternal life. 
we are given eternal life, a gift that you and I not only do not deserve, but one that we receive and one that we have not earned. You're given eternal life. Given eternal life as a result of what God does through Jesus leads us to the fifth and final one, and that is communion with God. As a result of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we are given communion with God. What does that mean? What does communion, what does fellowship with God mean? Well, because you are forgiven... Listen to me. Because you are forgiven, your sin now does not get in the way of enjoying God. How is that possible? Previous to knowing Jesus, you and I were separated from the Father. And as a result of what Jesus does on the cross, when we believe the fence of separation that stands between us and the Father is now removed because of the work of the Son. And so it means that we go from being orphans to being sons or daughters. It means that we now have access to the Father. One of the illustrations I tend to use about this is an illustration that uh, hap- it's happened in my house several times. So sometimes my son has his friends over, right? Uh, and two of them in particular, Ulysses, who we call Yuli or Grant. <laughs> anyway, uh, the other one is um, uh, Evan, right? And so <clears throat> when they're over at the house, th- they're really hilarious. Yuli is always super nervous to call me Mr. DeLeon, right? Because I don't know why. Anyway, he's just really nervous. And then Evan stutters because he doesn't know what he wants to say. And so as they are trying to get my attention, I'm not necessarily listening to them because none of them have actually called me. And then Seth will come out and he will say, Dad, and I turn around. Why? Because he has an access to me as his father that these two nerds are trying to, trying to get to. It's the same way when it comes to the relationship with us and the father. That because of the work of the Son, we have access to the Father. We just finished a series in 1 John where John walks us through reminding us about the access that we have. And as a result of that access, it's not that we have to make an appointment. It's that when we say, Dad, he listens. You have communion with God. That you become sons and daughters. Peter says it this way. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The separation that was there between us and the Father has now been removed through the work of the Son. And so that's the clarity that the gospel presents you and I. Well, what does it look like to be transformed by the gospel? Paul lays this out for us in verses 8 and 9. Paul says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. You see, the work of God for you in Christ is something that happens as the Holy Spirit enables you to believe. It is a work that is a continuation of Him working in you to be more and more like Jesus. 
And so upon, uh, upon being justified, upon being right with God, you're being also transformed. You're given a new heart. Paul, previous to him being an apostle, he's saying, man, I'm unworthy of being an apostle. Paul was the individual that carried out the orders to persecute the church, to persecute Christians. He would go from city to city to exercise orders so that Christians would be persecuted, imprisoned, and killed. Paul is the one who would set things in motion so that the church of God, the people of God, would be persecuted. And here we see Paul writing a letter to the Corinthians telling them that Jesus is Lord. Not only is that a result of the work of the gospel for him, it is a result of the work of the gospel in him. That he's been given a new heart. Because check it. Just because Paul was given a new heart didn't mean he didn't have to address the things that he did. Didn't mean his situation changed right away. Doesn't matter what some, I, should, I was going to say televangelist, but like we've all been on, on the camera for the last nine weeks. <laughs> right? Anyway, but you know what I mean, right? It doesn't matter what someone says. Oh, upon belief, you get this and you get that and things change. Not necessarily. You get a new heart, which means that you receive new desires. And as a result of those new desires, now you can look at what's going on in the world and cultures through the lens of the gospel. It's not the other way around. You don't look at uh, the gospel through the lens of culture. You look at culture through the lens of the gospel. So that might mean that your circumstance does not change. But you do receive a new heart. And as a result of receiving a new heart, you receive a new nature. Who you were is no longer who you are. And as you continue to grow and mature, you become more and more like Jesus. There's that sanctification piece. It's a process. So we leave with the same question. Are we more like Jesus today than we were back in March. You and I have had time to grow and mature. I didn't say arrive. Don't quote me, right? I did not say arrive. I said we have had time to grow and mature. Are we more like Jesus today than we were back in March? So we've talked about the clarity, the identity that the gospel brings to us. We've talked about the transforming power that the gospel has. Now let's look at the responsibilities as a result of the gospel in and for us. This is where now you can start bringing some of those convictions that you have, some of those opinions, and some of those preferences, and we're going to lay them on the table together. So this should be really fun. Okay? Okay. The work of God for us leads us to action and responsibility. Who we are determines what we do. And so at this time, I'd like to switch over to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. We're just going to look at this one verse. We're going to look at our responsibility. We're going to pull a lot out. We're going to pull another five responsibilities. They might not be the only ones, but we're going to look at five this morning. Here's what Micah says, or God says through Micah. Uh, where are we? 1022. Here we go. He has told you, O man, what is good. 
And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? As a result of the work of God in Christ for us, you and I are given implication because we believe in the gospel. You and I are given responsibility. Here's the first one. First one that I want to bring to your attention is convictions. And again, I've got a lot of questions for you this morning. But the first responsibility that you and I have is that of convictions. Why? I want you to chew on this. Why do you have convictions? Just chew on it. Why do you have convictions? You see, many Christians don't necessarily have convictions. They just lack maturity. Or they think they have convictions, but they're really not. They just lack maturity. You see, because if you and I have convictions, our convictions ought to be rooted in Scripture. We might disagree with the arena we find those convictions in, but at the very least, or that we are involved in, but at the very least, our convictions ought to be first rooted in the Scriptures because the gospel is of first importance. I want you to listen to Paul in Romans 14. He says, One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Here's what Paul is saying in Romans 14. They're dividing over a bunch of opinions and preferences when it comes to food. And here he's just giving another example. And inevitably, or ultimately what he is saying is, hey, some of you like Monday, some of you like Wednesday, some of you are like, I like all days. What he is saying is you need to be able to be convinced as to why. Because you're going to be asked, why is it that you restrict from doing these things? Why is it that you like Monday? Why do you prefer Wednesday? Why? Why do you like all days? You're weird. Why? Everybody must have convictions concerning what they believe and why they believe it. He says it. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And so sometimes you might even get asked, so why do you have convictions? And you might say, oh, because it's a good conviction. Well, what makes it good? What makes it good? And the truth is that we can't always answer that because we lack maturity when it comes to what is of first importance, and that is the gospel. And so what we end up doing is that we water down the gospel. We talk about Jesus coming into history and saying, oh, Jesus came to make us go from bad to good. And that's not entirely true. Jesus came so that he would make dead people live. So why do you have conviction? Do you even know why you have convictions? If you don't, if you don't know why you have convictions, whether they be political or civil, or even convictions regarding parenting, or convictions regarding what you uh, uh, abstain from, if you don't know why, that doesn't make you mature. That makes you immature. Number two, ambassador. Ambassador. I want you to listen to the words of Paul one more time. 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Therefore, we, that is Christians, are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. More questions. Who do you represent? I want you to think about your daily life. Who do you represent and what do you proclaim? In your daily life, who do you proclaim and who do you represent? 
I want you to take notice of something. At no point am I saying that you should not be involved in a variety of arenas. The truth is you need to have conviction and you need to be involved in a variety of arenas because they're necessary. Uh, they're necessary because truth is always truth. And so whether they'd be in the realm of parenting, whether they would be in the realm of political, social, or civil convictions, you need to be involved in them. What you also need to be, rem be reminded of is that because of what Jesus has done for us, we are ambassadors of Christ first. The problem with many Christians is that, and this might be you, I'm just going to keep looking up. The problem with many Christians is that many, in terms of their daily walks, display a difficulty to see who you represent. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes you could look at it on social media, you could look at it in your life, you could do whatever it is you want. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish whether a person's an activist or an ambassador because those lines are so blurred because you impose opinion and preference that you lose sight of who you are first representing. And those lines get blurred. And the lines get blurred because you really don't have conviction. And it's not that you don't think things are good. It's just you don't know why. You are an ambassador. And some of you can't tell the difference between activism and ambassadorship. You are an ambassador. You can pull all of the good things that Jesus did on earth. Please do so. However, do not lose sight that the primary mission of Jesus, the primary mission of Jesus was to reconcile man to God. That was the priority. Do not forget that. Number three, justice. You see, part of doing justice or part of being involved in justice means knowing the difference between matters of conscience and matters of sin. You guys catch me on that? Say it one more time. Part of doing justice means knowing the difference between matters of conscience and matters of sin. There are things that you and I need to call out. There are things that you and I need to call out and say, that is is sin. Now, the beauty of calling out sin is that you're not just doing it out of some self-righteous position. You're doing it as a result of what God's word has already revealed to you concerning his character and your heart and his heart. So that means that you and I can address sin. But we also need to remember that there are things that are matters of conscience. In other words, some people are going to do things differently. That doesn't make it sin. That just makes them different. You might have preferences for how we do what we probably should do in this church. The beauty is that's a preference. It's not a matter of sin. Right? You might be a vegetarian. That's cool. Right? Like, the idea behind that is that you have some firm conviction that this is going to bring, this living this way might bring uh, more glory to God in how you walk in life. Hey, if that's, that's your thing, cool, man. Don't impose it because I love steak. <clears throat> this also applies to whatever political affiliation or movement you want to get involved in. Do it. Get involved. Speak into it. Learn more about it, whether it would be political or social or civil or whatever. Do it. Get involved. 
So how you talk about it matters. Maybe it's the worship music. How we do worship music and what we probably should do. It's another wonderful preference. Not a sin. So then what is sin? How do we call things out? Well, we look to what Scripture teaches. We look to what Scripture does. For instance, if you like to have a nice cold beer on a hot day, you should to the glory of God. That's awesome. If you're cool with that, it's not a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. We need to address drunkenness. We need to call it for what it is. Obviously, how you do it and all that matters, but what we're talking about right now are matters of sin, abuse, whatever form. Emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse. We need to call that out. We need to get our hands dirty and get involved in that. In light of recent events, what about racism? Yes, we need to speak up and against racism. And you don't necessarily need to know the history of race in our country because all you need to do is look at Scripture. The word racism might not necessarily come out in the Scriptures, but when we look at the Old Testament, we see the Babylonians abusing the Jews. In the New Testament, we see Jew and Gentile. We need to speak up against it because it's an atrocious sin. Sorry, my mic's falling. What else? Playing house. If you're not married and you are playing house, yeah, you need to put it on the table so we can say, hey, that is sin. Not only does it not honor the Lord, it does not honor one another because at the end of the day, you're just using one another. Violence against the innocent. We talked about abuse. We need to speak against that. And even at the same time, we need to speak against hurtful words. Even when it comes to hurtful words. See, when it comes to justice or speaking up against an injustice, you need to know it's a godly thing because we serve a just God, one that has never sinned yet gets angry at sin and injustice. So it matters. It matters. Number four, love. Yes, we are to love everyone. Why? Because everyone is created in the image of God. Therefore, when it comes to those who don't know Jesus, we want to love them the way Jesus loves them. We want to love them the way Jesus loves them. And when it comes to the church, we want to love one another so that we would grow in our sanctification, so that we would grow in our maturity, so that we would grow in what is of first importance and how that applies in our daily life. Too many people in the church love with a heart for gossip more than a heart like Christ's. And when that happens and when we love others poorly and when we love others selfishly and when we use others and call it love, really what you are trying to do is not be more like Jesus. You're trying to be God. That's what you're doing. You're trying to be God. You're not trying to be more like Jesus. So we love one another and everyone like Jesus did because it is the Christian who's been illuminated to what love is. Number five, humility. Very, very simple. Consider others as more significant than yourself. Paul says this in Philippians 2. 
Consider others as more significant than yourself. Lay down your rights. Sometimes that means that you're going to lay down your rights. Sometimes that means that you're going to lay down your preferences, primarily for the glory of God to be revealed and demonstrated because you are an ambassador first because of what God has done for you in Christ. What? He has reconciled you to the Father, and we want others to be reconciled to the Father. So demonstrate humility, church. I want you to be involved in everything that we talked about. Political, social, civil. If you're a parent, obviously you're going to be in that. If you have convictions about abstention, abstaining from things, then cool. Be involved in all of those things. I know some of you have specific convictions, and I love that. That's great. I want you to continue to be involved. I want you to know that. And just remember, not only are you trying to win a fight, not only are you trying to be different, you're also representing a kingdom. You're representing a kingdom. So, when it comes to convictions, when it comes to your opinions, when it comes to even preferences, they're good. I want you to hear that. They are good. They are very, very necessary. But we must remember that how we engage them comes from our convictions presented in Scripture because of who we are first. Because the gospel is of first importance. The gospel reminds us of our identity, it reminds us of our transformation, and it reminds us of the responsibility that you and I have. So, if you're a Christian, I want you to examine your heart this morning. I want you to think about some of your convictions and some of your uh, positions and opinions and preferences. And I want you to ask yourself, have you imposed them on others and viewed yourself as maybe the stronger Christian or the more mature Christian? I want you to think through some of those things. And I want you to ask, have I forgotten the gospel in them? I want you to think through them and ask, do I know why I believe in these convictions? Do I know why I abstain from certain things? Am I just really calling them godly, but really they're just, it's just idolatry? I want you to examine your heart. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians. We examine ourselves. So please don't lose sight of that. Even though we're going to get ready for another service, in a bit we're going to respond to the preached word. And so I want you to respond by examining yourself. And so when you come to that place of conviction, and I'm talking about the conviction over your sin, now let me encourage you to repent and fix your eyes on Jesus. It might mean you gotta change some things. It might mean you need to make some apologies. It might mean you just need to do things differently. Whatever that looks like, I want you to examine your heart. And if you don't know Jesus, I want you to do the same thing. But primarily, here's what I want you to know. That if you don't know Jesus, it's gonna be very difficult for you to look at culture through the lens of the gospel because you don't know Jesus. However, you can know Jesus. You can know Jesus today. You can come before him in humility and repentance so that you would be reconciled to God. So that you would be given access to the Father. So that your sins would be forgiven. So that the wrath of God that is over you would be removed because of the work of Jesus for you. So repent and trust in Jesus. Once again, church, the gospel reminds us of our identity, of our transformation, and the responsibility that you and I carry. And so, as we continue to worship together, we're going to respond three ways this morning. We're going to respond through prayer and confession, which we're about to do. We're going to respond by singing. And then we're going to respond by giving. So as you exit later this morning, we have an offering box. Over by that exit, you can drop your offering there. All of those are ways of worship. That's how we're going to respond. Church, I love you. I've missed you. 
Hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. All right, let's pray. God, you are a loving God, a merciful God. You are a gracious God, and you are a God of truth. You're a God of justice. God, you're a God of wrath. And I think we forget that. In light of the gospel, I think we forget about your character. God, one of the most mm, densest parts of your character is that you are love. Everything that you do stems from this characteristic, whether it is exercising mercy or exercising judgment, whether it is exercising grace or exercising wrath, it is as a result of your love. And so God, as a result of that, man, let's just come before you and confess our sin that we are not only broken, but sinful. That our hearts are prone to wander that we lack inconsistency, or we lack consistency. We um, sin regularly against you primarily. God, we confess that we forget your gospel. And in this season of good and bad or devastating and challenging, Lord, we have forgotten a lot. And so as a result of what Paul tells the Corinthians, may we be not only transformed by the truth of your gospel, but God, may we be anchored in the work that you are doing in us. God, as we head out of this facility this morning, may we be more like Jesus. May we just put everything on the table so that we would be more like Jesus. Would we be reminded not only of the gift of salvation, but the responsibility that we carry as a result of being a son or a daughter? God, we ask that you would just keep working in us. Holy Spirit, keep doing your thing. Penetrate our hearts with your word. God, I'm thankful for this morning and the time that we get to have to worship. God, we love you and are thankful for what you are doing in us. May we do as you say through Micah, justice, love kindness, and may we walk humbly with you for your glory and our good. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.